All right, so to complete this chapter, we've got a, just a few verses left, and this is going to be a short one. Uh, we've got Revelation 11, 14, 19, which is uh, the, the bookend to the first half of the tribulation. Uh, we see a lot of similarities with the beginning of this period in chapter 4. So the timing, we see uh, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So the death and resurrection of these two prophets um, happens right between trumpets six and seven. So we're given a really clean uh, period of time to identify these two. Uh, we know that trumpet seven will not begin until these two witnesses have been resurrected. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So here is our diagram of the seals, trumpets, and bowls. We know that the seventh of each, the seals and the trumpets, uh, opens up the next series or round of judgments. So that this final seventh trumpet opens up the next seven judgments, which are the seven bold judgments. So just like the uh, opening of the seventh seal, where there was an announcement of this is the end, so with the trumpet we get an announcement of this is the end. And that's uh, often taken too far to an extreme, uh, because this is not the exact moment of the end, but this is the very last judgment in for the seals, the title deed of earth. This is still part of that seventh seal, which is the completion of all judgment on the earth. So with this opening of the seventh trumpet, that is the completion of the seventh trumpet, and it brings us right to the end of this tribulation period. So we see that this completion of judgment is layered, and at each layer, there is a celebration in heaven that the end is here. So we shouldn't take this as a temporal end because there are still three and a half years left. But in the judgment of Christ or in a stage of the judgment of Christ being completed so that the, uh, the title deed of earth, which is being stripped from the hand of Satan, who is the ruler of this earth, and also the judgments which have given grace, but it also judgment uh, are now concluding as well, so that in the seven bowls, we see the wrath of God uh, handed out upon the entire earth. At that point, there will probably not be many, uh, many coming to faith. It will be entirely a period of judgment in these, path, in these last three and a half years, where God is protecting Israel, uh, but the rest of the earth uh, will not be seeing the same sort of revival that saw in the first half of the judgment. And that is the difference here, um, that they are worshiping God's ending of his program of stripping Satan of his authority on earth and stripping away all gray areas or on the fence where the two kingdoms have now been nearly entirely separated and distinct. Uh, so these last three trumpets are all woes. Uh, they were uh, the three woes, and they're specifically uh, demonic in their, uh, in their character or their makeup. 
whereas we have very naturalistic or governmental woes coming prior to this, we now have uh, demonic forces really showing their true colors. The entirety of this seventh woe is going to be very demonic in the sense that the man at the center of it will be the demonically indwelled Antichrist. So that we have the swarm of demons, we have uh, the demonic army of horsemen, and now we have the demon man himself, the man of lawlessness. Uh, the seven bowls will be uh, poured out on his kingdom, which is the earth and those who are worshiping him. Uh, here's a handy chart we looked at at the beginning of the fourth chapter. Um, so now we can see where we're at in that. We'd, we'd been right at the beginning before the seals opened. So now you can see we're pretty cleanly halfway through right at the opening of that seventh or the blowing of that seventh trumpet. Uh, the two witnesses in the little book have uh, completed their interlude. And those again have been throughout this entire period. Those two witnesses have been preaching. And here comes the conclusion of their ministry at the midpoint. Uh, so when the scripture here says, uh, 15, the seventh angel sounded, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Uh, the kingdom of our Lord is indicating God the Father, and of his Christ indicating God the Son. Uh, and we see that throne of David is being uh, given to the Son, given to Jesus Christ, and it will, after the millennial kingdom, merge with the throne of heaven. So that we have two kingdoms going on in tandem. We have the universal kingdom, which has never been questioned. That has always been the throne of God. At this moment, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, not on David's throne. And he is acting as uh, a priest to his people, the church. But at the millennial kingdom, Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David. At the end of the millennial kingdom, David's throne will merge with the throne of God, and they will rule together through eternity. But here, looking in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, we see a very, uh, a very famous psalm. It's usually a Christmas psalm, but only the very first phrase has been completed to this point. The rest of it is completely unfulfilled to this point. So Isaiah 9, 6, we read, For a child was born to us, a son will be given to us. That is the only piece of this psalm that is for this uh, prophecy that is fulfilled. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is the prophecy that the angels are, angels? Uh, that the voices in heaven are thanking God for, that this prophecy is about to be fulfilled because the Antichrist kingdom is ending. The kingdom of Satan on this earth is done 
and Jesus Christ will rule perfectly. We see in Luke that Jesus Christ is the very Christ who will sit on this throne of David. We read, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over his house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. His kingdom will have no end even beyond the millennial kingdom because the seat of David will merge with the seat of God. We're going to see that in just a bit. I have included that verse. But first, we get a bookend where we had the 24 elders back in chapter 4. We get the end of the 24 elders uh, worshiping here. We're going to see them again in chapter 19. Um, but we see kind of a conclusio on they're beginning to worship God because of what he is about to do. We see them here worshiping what he is doing. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. So this harkens back to Revelation 4, verses 10 to 11, where we saw the praise of these 24 elders earlier. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will existed and were created. Uh, the vision as well of these, uh, sorry, this goes with this one. Uh, so the temple, and the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bond servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. So that's talking about the bold judgments left, that it's time for those bold judgments to be completed. Their purpose is different from the trumpets, where the trumpets were uh, confined to only one-third of the earth being destroyed, the other two-thirds having the opportunity still to turn to God. Now it is unbridled wrath uh, that comes down on the unrighteous. And remember, God is perfectly justified because he has given grace all the way up to the very end, just like Noah's day where he didn't close the door of the ark until the rain had started. Um, so God has not closed off uh, his offer of grace, but the rain has started. Uh, and the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. The Ark of the Covenant was specifically to be kept in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the temple is a picture or an image of what is true in its existence in heaven itself. But it's also an image of God's dwelling together with his people. The, the glory departed from the Ark of the Covenant back in Ezekiel's day. Uh, and it won't return again until the millennial temple, the millennial kingdom. So we see this ark being prepared uh, in heaven for the temple. 
that Jesus Christ will establish in Jerusalem during the Millennial Kingdom. But again, it's also a bookend to our chapter 4, where we see a very similar uh, scenario happening, and John is called up into heaven for the first vision uh, of the things that are going to come after uh, his day. So we read, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. But this time, instead of seeing throne, instead of seeing God central uh, in heaven, we're seeing this temple and the Ark of the Covenant central, where it's still the presence of God, but we're seeing him preparing to dwell among his people. So these last days uh, are the time of Jacob's trouble. It will be particularly against uh, Jerusalem, but God will protect um, the remnant of Israel through this. In Jeremiah 30, we read, Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. It shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck, and will tear off their bonds, and strangers will no longer make them their slaves, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, and do not be dismayed, Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob will return and will be quiet and at ease, and no one will make him afraid. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely but I will chasten you justly and will by no means leave you unpunished. <clears throat> so we're going to end with Psalm 2, uh, which is a psalm of Jesus Christ, but it is a specifically a psalm of Jesus Christ taking his kingdom as the anointed of God. So we read in Psalm 2, why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us tear the fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very end of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. So we have this yet to look forward to where Jesus Christ will come and conquer all the nations and establish 
his kingdom in Jerusalem. And from that point forward, Jerusalem will be ruled with a rod of iron, and they will not sway to the left or to the right, um, but will be perfectly righteous uh, with Jesus Christ as their king. And that gets us halfway through Revelation. <laughs> nice. All right. Any questions? Any comments? Okay. So I gave everybody else a split second to ask before me. <laughs> okay. If the two witnesses, yeah. you have a most likely outcome is Elijah and Moses. Moses actually died. Elijah. What's that? My money is on Elijah and Moses, yes. Okay. So Moses actually died a physical death. Elijah did not. Right. So now you have um, them being martyred and killed by the beast. So I'm just looking for interpretation here. If it was, mo yeah. if it's real, then physical death, then Moses would die physically twice. Lazarus died physically twice, too. I guess that's a good point. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's exactly my difficulty with it as well, which is why I like to keep that uh, spiritual Moses and Elijah in my back pocket, uh, because we have... Uh, we, we can't be perfectly dogmatic or not as perfectly dogmatic as we would like to be on certain things. But that's one where it is difficult with that Hebrews 9.27 passage where you only die once. Um, but looking at the purpose of that passage, the purpose is to relate nature to, uh, to Christ's final um, death for the sins of mankind so that Christ can't die again. But it doesn't mean that it's out God's power or outside of God's power to resurrect someone for his purpose uh, without actually resurrecting them to a glorified body. Okay. My, uh, my defense of that would be I don't want to put God in a box. Um, but also he's, he's not named these witnesses specifically. It could be purposeful that he didn't name them because they won't be uh, anyone we've known before, but rather coming in the power or the likeness of Moses and Elijah. The only reason anyone tries to identify these witnesses as anyone who's already come, because again, in the text, it doesn't say that these are coming to be Moses, or Elijah, or Enoch, or any resurrected anyone. Uh, the only reason anyone tries to identify these is because Elijah has to come before Jesus Christ because of the prophecy of Malachi. So this is where Elijah fits. That could be reading into the text something that's not there. So we do want to be careful about that. Uh, the only thing we can say dogmatically is these are two prophets who will act much like Moses and Elijah. But if they are to be resurrected prophets of old days because of the transfiguration and because it's not completely without God's ability to bring back Moses, uh, my money would be on Moses and Elijah. 
cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's probably the one I wrestled with the most. And that's the one that every commentator deals with too. Uh, it's definitely not settled. Uh, I, I can't say that anyone has the interpretation of the passage. It does bother me, uh, even though I do it myself when I look at this passage, that people try to read uh, Old Testament prophets into the text uh, when it's not explicitly there. But uh, we do have to find or, or just pass it off to, uh, we'll know when we know, um, that prophecy back in Malachi about Elijah coming before the Lord could be that it's not revealed when he comes in Revelation. might just not be there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just where we've got to handle the text with grace. And say, multiple interpretations are possible, uh, especially here. It's fun to think of the possibilities, though. <laughs> yeah, it's just the whole... <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I could definitely see our world letting that happen now yeah and lay in the streets dead for three days and celebrate it yeah connor was saying before she could never imagine people just being left to lie in the streets but now given our mm -hmm. society we can't see that happen yeah yeah what was that comedian's name kathy some kathy griffin yeah yeah if you guys remember kathy griffin when she had that comic sketch where she held the the decapitated head of donald trump and to her, it was comedy. She didn't get why people were, I'm sure she understood, but she didn't agree with people who thought that was not funny. Uh, lots of people, myself included. Uh, but that's kind of the spirit of the age, that uh, people we hate, we can um, tolerate desecrating their bodies. Uh, it's, it's something, I think, unknown to our culture before. Sure, it's it's appeared in cultures before, but there's a reason those cultures disappear. Uh, so either our culture itself is going to disappear uh, or the end is near, because it seems to be a pretty worldwide, uh, a worldwide uh, desecration of the mind, I guess. Depravity. Depravity of the mind. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I kept you guys way over time again. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, uh, so let's let's pray and conclude. Next time is going to be uh, the Mosaic Covenant. We're going to look at the law and what it is and what it isn't. Uh, what were their responsibilities and what, if any, are ours to the law. Uh, so we will look at that next week and then the week after is our Q&A, and it can be Revelation or any of the comments we've looked at or anything you can throw at me, but don't expect me to have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll pray to conclude. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've seen fit to tell us the events of the future, uh, not only so that we can confirm our faith in you, uh, Peter calls it the sure word of prophecy. Uh, it functions like a lamp before us, uh, but also it's, it's not separated from who we are and where we are today uh, in our process of sanctification. 
that when we study the future, that when we see how close we are uh, to the to the final wrapping up of all of your uh, your history, to where we see your glory coming up uh, over the horizon like the morning star. Uh, Lord, we want that to affect our daily walk and our daily life so that as we feel the day approaching, uh, we strive more and more to walk in the light, to walk in the spirit, uh, to walk by your power and not by our own strength. So Lord, we ask that you give us the strength, uh, shed light on our path, that we know clearly your will. Uh, we pray that you guide us not to quench the spirit and not to grieve the spirit, but to maintain that walk. Uh, so Lord, let this, uh, this prophecy, which has future application, uh, draw application to our daily lives as well. We pray these things, Lord, in your glorious name. Amen. 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 Right.